Good morning. Uh, nice to see you all here this morning. This year as a church, we've been uh, going on a, a journey together through uh, an overarching theme of love right where we are. Uh, love right where you are. And uh, Brad kicked off this whole bigger series uh, with a smaller series in Jonah. And uh, in Jonah, we were challenged by the fact that actually we were very similar to this reluctant prophet. And we had many things in common with this, with this guy, Jonah. We are, then, we are now doing a, a small mini-series of, of five weeks in which we are, going, we, we are praying to God that God would make us less like Jonah and more like Jesus. And last week, Brad kicked off this little series with the, ser- with the, the, uh, with the uh, with sermon on uh, Open My Eyes, where we were challenged to put God's glasses on as we uh, look at people around us. Today we are going on to the next prayer, and it's the prayer of God, open my heart. And with this in mind, I thought of this guy. Danny DeVito. Now, a lot of you are sitting there thinking to yourself, well, that's not who I expected to come up on the screen. For the the younger members of the audience who may not even know who Danny DeVito is, Danny DeVito is a, a is an actor and director who is is, is short. He's he's four foot ten, uh, so it's 143 centimeters. I better convert that for those who don't know him. Most probably can't speak in feet and inches anyway. So 143 centimeters, and. Um, he, he came to, to, to fame really as his role as a dispatcher in a, in a TV series, Taxi, which was in the late 70s and early 80s. Now, I was obviously too young to, to know anything about that aspect of his acting career. But what I did know was that he appeared in many movies in the 80s where he played, he was typecasted for this, for this little sort of Weasley character in these movies. He was often the, 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 the money-hungry, street-wise sort of um, uh, uh, guy who, who you could never really trust would be there for your back. And he's a sort of, he played the sort of guy who'd, who'd be willing to sell his parents if he thought there was money in it. Uh, and for, for the children here today, no, there isn't any money in, in parent sales. <laughs> but, but that's the sort of character he played, and he played them so well. He was the, um, he was the joker in, in the original Batman Returns. So that sort of gives you a little bit of these sort of characters that he, he, he had the ability to play so well. But Danny DeVito, I think, would be the perfect typecast for today's encounter in the Bible. Our encounter today that we're going to be looking at is Zacchaeus, king of the swindlers. And uh, with my nice little bit of photoshopping there, I obviously need to to get a little bit more IT savvy. But um, we're going to be looking at the story of Zacchaeus today. And... This whole typecast of these roles that that Danny DeVito had played actually fits absolutely perfect with the type of character that we find in Zacchaeus. 
Now, Zacchaeus' Zacchaeus's encounter with Jesus is one of those really famous stories in the Bible, isn't it? Sort of everyone knows about the story of Zacchaeus, the short man who climbs the tree. Eh? You know, it's certainly within the church, but many people outside of the church would know of this story. The problem is sometimes these really familiar stories lose their meaning to us. Because a little bit of familiarity breeds contempt because we think, oh, we know how this finishes, so we rush to the end. We know he's going to, to climb the tree and get called down. But I'll say to you this morning that actually don't rush through this encounter. Don't rush through this encounter of Jesus and Zacchaeus because I think it's one of the most profound encounters that Jesus has. In fact, it comes at such an important time, Jesus uses it to launch, to, 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 to proclaim to everyone his mission of why he's here on earth. And so I think it certainly warrants for us a much closer look. So with that in mind, I want you to, to uh, open your Bibles to Luke 19 or open your iDevice or um, electronic Bible or something like that to, to Luke 19. And we'll have a look uh, at this fantastic encounter together. All right, let's just start off with the first four verses. Luke 19, starting verse 1, says this, uh, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was so short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. It's important just to pause here for a minute and just set the scene, because the scene is so important for what then comes. The setting of the story then is a city called Jericho. Jericho was one of the big three trading centers in, in Israel at that time, along with Copernam and Jerusalem. So it was a big trading center. It was situated on major trading routes and it had very fertile land around it. So it was a bit of a, a humming center, all right? It was a hu humming business center. And Jericho lay about 27 miles downhill from Jerusalem. Now, this is important because right at the very first verse, we hear that Jesus is passing through Jericho. Where was Jesus going? Jesus was going to Jerusalem. So this, this encounter with Zacchaeus is actually a, a very important stage of Jesus' ministry. Jesus has been journeying through uh, Israel, and he's been journeying towards Jerusalem for a number of chapters. And within two weeks of, of, of this encounter with Zacchaeus, Jesus Christ was going to be front and center stage of the story of Easter that we've just celebrated. Within a couple of weeks, Jesus Christ was going to be hung on a cross to die. And within a couple of weeks, he was going to leave that tomb empty. So Jesus' ministry was coming, Jesus' earthly ministry was coming to an end. And this encounter with Zacchaeus is in many ways the climax of that. Because this is the last recorded personal encounter with Jesus on his, on his way to Jerusalem. 
The other thing to note about the setting of this story is that Luke 19 comes after Luke 18. And Luke 18 is, is, is very much part of the same story. So when Luke, that uh, Greek doctor, sat down to, to write his orderly account of, of, of the things that had come by so that we would know with certainty the things that we believe, Luke 18 and Luke 19 was all part of one narrative as he was writing along. And Luke 18 has some very, very important uh, encounters in as well. And one of the big encounters in Luke 18 is the encounter Jesus has with the rich young ruler. The story is that of, a, of, this, of the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and he says, yeah, how can I have eternal life? And, um, and Jesus Sort of, and, and, he, and he basically replies to Jesus that, you know, he's, he's kept all the, the outward religious rules, you know, do not uh, commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, um, do not be a false testimony, honor my, my mother and father. These I've all kept. But Jesus then went for, the, for the, deeper, the deeper commands that he couldn't keep, the commands of the heart, where, where Jesus identified to this rich ruler actually that he had this idol of money and said, when Jesus said to him, well, give away your money and come follow me, he couldn't do it because God wasn't his king, money was his king. And Jesus said to the crowd, it's, it's so hard for the wealthy to, to, to come to, to God. It's, it's easier for, for a camel to go through a knot higher of the needle. And they all said, well, who, who then can be saved? And Jesus said, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And it's in this context that Jesus continues his journey to, towards Jerusalem. And he's passing through Jericho. And he comes across Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Zacchaeus, man we find, is short in stature. But Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector. Now, tax collectors back then were, were notoriously um, sly. They were notoriously uh, um, people of bad character because they would take bribes. They would overcharge people. They basically had people at their mercy uh, because if, if, if they refused to pay taxes, they had the power to, to imprison them. So it was easy to charge a little bit more and take a little bit for themselves and things like that. And so tax collectors were known to be a very, very poor character. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, which means that he actually had a, a whole cartel of tax collectors working under him, gathering the taxes. He was the ultimate creamer. They would pay his ta the taxes to Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus would pay them on to Rome after he had creamed off his amount. Zacchaeus was filthy rich in both sense of the words. He was loaded with money, but he was also filthy rich because the money was filthy. It had, been got, it had been got in dishonest ways. And Zacchaeus would have been hated by the Jews. Tax collectors were considered sellouts. They were traitors to the Jewish race because they were selling out to the Roman occupiers. 
They were robbing from their own people to give to the, to the Romans. They were known as swindlers and thieves. and they were, they were hated and despised. It was the worst job to have. And into this very important setting, this very important uh, pinnacle of, or, or, or climax of, of Jesus' journey into Jerusalem, we get the most unlikely character coming, Zacchaeus. But Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to see who Jesus was. Why is that, do you think? He doesn't sound like the sort of guy that should be hanging out with Jesus. Perhaps Zacchaeus had actually learned that Perhaps Zacchaeus knew Levi. Levi was one of one of uh, was renamed Matthew as one of Jesus' disciples. Levi himself was a tax collector. Perhaps Zacchaeus has heard that this guy Jesus, he's a friend of the sinners and tax collectors. This guy Jesus is, is not like all these other religious rulers that were around that were 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 full of hatred and, and judgmental. Jesus Perhaps he knew that Jesus was, was different. Or perhaps Zacchaeus just knew that he had to see Jesus for a reason he was, was not sure of. Perhaps there was a, a deeper longing in Zacchaeus that says, actually, perhaps all this money that I've got for myself, maybe it's not what's satisfying. Perhaps it's not satisfying me. Perhaps I'm still feeling empty. Perhaps I'm still feeling like I need more. We don't know. <coughs> but what we do know is Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. <coughs> but there was a big problem. Zacchaeus was short. Zacchaeus was short and the crowds were big. Just before we get into Luke 19, we've got a, we've got a story of a blind man coming to, to faith in Jesus and being healed. And we've got the story of how he was going along behind Jesus, praising God. So I'm sure there was a big commotion as, as, as Jesus was coming into Jericho. And the crowds were wanting to see. But Jesus was short, uh, sorry, Zacchaeus was short <coughs> and was unable to see over the crowds. Actually, can someone just grab me a drink of water because I'm about to... Oh. <coughs> Zacchaeus was short and couldn't see over the crowds. And there was no way that the crowd was going to let him in. Jesus was, 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 was someone that, that, that people were wanting to see themselves. And so the front row of, of, of the, the, the viewers were going to go to the people of importance in, 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 the, in the town... The, 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 the more worthy ones. And certainly they wouldn't have made room for Zacchaeus, who was stuck at the back. But this is where I think Zacchaeus knew that there was something deeper going on. Because if there was just a mild curiosity of who this Jesus might be, Zacchaeus would have given up then. He would have said, ah, oh well, not, not meant to be. And he perhaps would have turned around and made a run. Ooh. 
But Zacchaeus didn't go home. Zacchaeus did something that was completely off the chain for Jewish men of, those, uh, of that day. He ran and he climbed. These are not normal behaviors. And certainly nothing a, a dignified Jewish man would do. But so desperate was Zacchaeus to see this Jesus, he didn't care. So he ran and he climbed the tree so that he could see. And let's rejoin the story. Verse 5 then says, When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Don't be fooled by the simplicity of this encounter. Don't be fooled to gloss over it because it appears so simple. This encounter is, 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 is full of, of, of beauty because right from the very beginning, what happens? Jesus, what does it say? When Jesus reached the spot, this was a God-ordained moment. This was a God-directed crossing of paths. Zacchaeus was wanting to see Jesus, but Jesus was seeking Zacchaeus. And when he reached that spot, Jesus looked up into the tree. And I ask you, what do you think Jesus saw? As Jesus looked up in the tree, he saw God's masterpiece. He saw a beautiful creation of God, a beautiful masterpiece of God, but a masterpiece that had been dirtied with selfish ambition, had been smeared with the love of money, a masterpiece that had been torn by deceit and dishonesty, a masterpiece which may have looked unrecognizable at a glance, but not to the eyes of Jesus. He saw Zacchaeus exactly as he was, lost and looking. And so he says to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I'm going to your place. And Zacchaeus came down and welcomed him. This was not the social norm. It was it was a great honor to have a, a, a religious teacher or something stay and stay with you for a while, but it was not the norm for a religious leader to ask to stay in someone's house. Particularly, it was not the norm to ask to stay in the house of a sinner. The religious leaders that would have been surrounding him in that town would have been would have been just would have been would have been cringing. They would have been oh inside because. In, in their mind, to, to, to go stay at a sinner's house is, is to basically partake in that sin together with them. And, and even more, I, I bet you Zacchaeus hadn't tithed that money that he had. That lack of tithing would have therefore meant that, that all his produce would be unclean and Jesus was going to eat that unclean stuff. What was he thinking? It's little wonder then that as we read on, the next verse says, 
And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner? What on earth was this guy on about? What on earth was this Jesus on about? But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Zacchaeus responds to Jesus in a couple of ways, a couple of crucial ways. The first of all, Zacchaeus acknowledges that Jesus is Lord. He acknowledges the lordship of Christ. He is one of the few people in the Gospels who actually declares aloud, Jesus, you are Lord. The scummy, slimy tax collector utters those words. Jesus, you are Lord. And then to and then to, to demonstrate what has just gone, in, gone on inside of him, he says, this money that I have, mate, it means nothing to me anymore because I found the, the one true thing that really matters. Lord, right here and now, I'm giving half my money to the poor. I don't care about this, this God of money that I've pursued all my life because I have you. And, and, and Lord, if I've, I've done anything wrong, I'll give them four back. Four, I'll give them back four times the amount that I've, I've cheated from them. Zacchaeus was going to have nothing left. But he didn't care anymore because he had the one thing, the one thing that really mattered. And he had Jesus. He had the one thing that he longed for, that he sought, the one thing that would make him whole, Jesus. And money, it means nothing. Zacchaeus wasn't trying to buy his salvation. Zacchaeus' giving was in response of what has gone on inside. It's in response to his acknowledgement of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so Jesus turned and said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And Jesus declares in a sentence his earthly mission to his tax collector, Zacchaeus, and the crowds around. And he says this, this is why I've come, to seek and save the lost. The heart of God 
seeks the lost. The heart of God breaks when he sees the lost. And the heart of God seeks him to bring them home. And that is why Jesus had come. That is why Jesus was about to go to that cross and die so that the lost could be brought home. A couple of years ago, we went through, as a church, Panorama, the series of the Bible. And again and again and again, we learned that this was the theme of the Bible. When God appeared before Moses, as Brad mentioned last week, and God himself declared his own name and said, Yahweh, Yahweh, he described himself as what? The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not let the guilty go unpunished. The heart of God seeks the lost, and the punishment he paid with the Son, Jesus Christ. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever would believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I have come to seek and save the lost. The heart of God seeks the lost. And that was you and me. And that is you and me. If you're sitting here this morning and you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then Jesus Christ is saying to you today, come to me. I came for you. If you've been coming along to church to try and find out who this Jesus is, if you want to look at who this Jesus was, then you are essentially having a Zacchaeus up the tree moment. And Jesus Christ is standing there looking at you and saying, come. Come down. I want to go to your house. Today. If you've been looking for, for meaning, if you've been looking for life, if you've been looking, if you've been trying to put it all together, then Jesus Christ says, I am life. You will never work out what's going on, but through me. You will never have life as it ought to be except through me. 
And you might be sitting here this morning saying, yeah, but God, I've just, I've just done so many rotten things again and again and again. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I'm, I'm stinking filthy. But Jesus says to you, that is exactly what I've come for. I have come to seek and save the lost. Don't wait any longer, but follow Zacchaeus and get down. Your life will never be the same. Zacchaeus was obviously, at first read, the biggest interaction going on in the story with, with Jesus. But actually, there is another interaction going on as well. And it's the interaction with Zacchaeus in the crowd. In many ways, I think sometimes we forget this part of the story and lose this part of the truth that actually God is wanting to tell us as a church. Because in the story of Zacchaeus, there are two completely opposing responses to this, this tax collector Zacchaeus. On one hand, there was Jesus who seeks and accepts the sinner. And on the other hand, we've got the crowd who blocks and rejects him. And I say, why do you think they had such different responses? Why was Jesus' response so completely opposed to what the crowd thought? And I think the answer lies at the heart of Jesus. Jesus had a heart that was in step with his heavenly Father. The heart of God seeks the lost, and that was Jesus' heart through and through. Jesus' heart bit in time with his heavenly Father. Jesus, in his, in, his, in his ministry days, sort of declares that all I say to you comes from my Father. All I do comes under the direction of my Father. Everything he did was in the heartbeat of his father who dearly loves and seeks the lost. The crowd, on the other hand, though, is described quite differently in the Gospels. Jesus, when he speaks of the, of the heart of, of, of the crowd, of, of the Jewish nation that, that, that were surrounding the time, he doesn't speak of a, of a, of a heart of, of flesh, a heart in, in time with the, the Father. He speaks of a heart that is cold, a heart of stone. He speaks of calloused hearts. These people, he says, have calloused hearts. In Matthew, 8, Matthew, 18, Matthew 13, sorry, 
he, he uses one of the, uh, the, the, um, uh, the, the prophets in, in saying, for this people's hearts has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. That's how Jesus described the people. They were hard towards God and closed off. They were calloused. Now, calluses are something that I know something about. This is my foot. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't realize that we were going to have the, um, the exchange group uh, sort of stay in. No, the, oh, I've forgotten the name. It is exchange group stand today because this, this might give a few nightmares tonight. I apologize to the parents. But this is my foot. I took a photo of it yesterday. Now, two years ago, I thought I should get myself fit, and I started to do some running. And as I was running to prepare for my first half marathon, my feet just basically disintegrated under, underneath me. They became kind of macerated and broken down, such to the point that when I ran my first half marathon, my feet were stuck together with super glue and tape to hold them in place while I ran. Now, over the last two years, by constantly running a bit, calluses have started to form on my feet. Now, I don't know whether you can appreciate that, but on my big toe and on the pad of my foot there, the skin has become quite hard. And now I can actually go for a run and not, not, um, not have my feet fall apart anymore because I've become callous. Now, how does a callus form? A callus doesn't form overnight, does it? A callus forms by regular rubbing. It's, it, it, a callus forms by regular, constant friction going on. And that's why I actually really like the way that Jesus uses calluses to describe the hearts of, of, of mankind or men, men and women who, 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 are, who are no longer listening to God because over years of rejection of God's voice, calluses build up, build up. And what might be good for a foot is not good for the soul of people. What might be good for a foot is not good for the heart of a person. Calluses build up when we start ignoring God's voice. When God tells us to get away from that sinful habit and we say, oh, just one more time. When God tells us there's a way out over here, but we decide, well, actually, we might stay in this a bit longer. When God tells us, go speak to that person, and we say, who, who me? No, not me. When God says to us, that person needs a little bit of love, and say, oh, Lord, uh, they, they know someone else more. Calluses build up on our hearts as we reject the voice of God. Over time, they build and build and build until we can no longer hear at all and our eyes have been closed. You might be saying to yourself, I'm not like the crowd. I don't block people from coming to see Jesus. But the problem is, that's passive blocking. 
the heart of Jesus seeks sinners. The problem is that we, we, we don't need to block people from coming because people are already blocking themselves from coming to the church. People always uh, have already put the barriers up from coming to the church, saying that they are judgmental, they are harsh. Various comments that have gone around, uh, around, um, uh, around the media and things like that just sort of builds into the fact. But, but the truth is, saying that we don't block people from coming to the church is not the heart of God. The heart of God is to seek the lost. And so should ours. How then do we rediscover God's heart? How can we get our heart beating back in time? How can we as, as a church remove the calluses that we put on our heart by rejecting God's voice? I'm going to give you four simple pointers because it's not rocket science. They're simple. We need to first of all remember our lostness. In Revelations, when God writes to the church in Ephesus, he says to them, I know your great deeds, the great works that you've done, your perseverance, how you, how you hate wicked teaching and things like that. But this one thing I hold against you, you have lost your, you, you've forgotten about your first love. Remember how far you had fallen. Repent and do again those things that you did at first. Fall in love with me again. Remember that you are lost. Remember that there is nothing beautiful about you before I came along and found you. The problem I think that we have in the church is we, we come along the church for so long that we actually start feeling comfortable here. And we actually start thinking we belong, which we do in a way, but actually that belonging has got nothing to do with us. And yet that's what we take on. We take it as some, of, as some form of right that we have. We suddenly have this right to be here as a church and enjoying this fellowship. We have no right at all apart from the work of Jesus Christ. And God says, remember your lostness. Remember your lostness and how far I've brought you. And we need to pray. We need to pray and pray, like we learned last year. But we need to pray that God would forgive us for the times that we reject his voice. We need to pray that God will remove from our heart the calluses that we've been putting on by rejecting his voice. But we also need to pray as we go through the day. We need to invite God into the things that we're doing at work, at home. Everything we should do should be bathed in prayer saying, God, help me here. Direct me here. Lead me here. Let me speak for you. Pray, pray, pray. And we need to look at ways in which we are actually looking to cultivate our relationship with God. 
We look at ways in which we, 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 we're going to do our work better, how we're going to study better or, or practice for sports better and things like that. How, how seriously do we take this relationship with God that we actually look at ways of cultivating this, this relationship with Him? How, how, how much practice are we putting in? How deep are we getting into His Word? How much are we, we reading about others who have walked this path before us so that we could be inspired by them and follow in their footsteps as we follow Christ? And then the fourth thing we need to do is we actually need to obey. When God tells us to do something, we need to do it. Nothing more to be said. We actually need to obey. The heart of God seeks the lost. And so should ours. We're going to be having a time of communion now. And the band are going to come back on stage and lead us in a couple of songs. But communion is the perfect time to reflect on what we've, we've been uh, going through today. Because Jesus knew, Jesus knew that we would get so busy with our own lives that we would forget. And so he said, keep doing this. And as you do this, you will again be remembered of, of why I came. You will again be remembered of your lostness and the price that I paid for you. You will again be reminded of the fact that your life you live is through me alone. And as we do this, I pray that, that, that you will, will, will pray and, and put your life at, at Christ's feet. That you will pray that God will remove the calluses and, provide, and give us a heart and time with him. A heart seeking the lost. Just going to finish this part by again looking at the second prayer in your journal, prayer that uh, Brad has, has written there. And again, I think it would be good for us as a congregation to stand together and to pray this prayer together. So let's stand. Father, open my heart. The sad truth is that often I simply don't care for those around me who are lost. I am far too much like Jonah. Lord, I confess I get distracted by my busyness, pursuing my agenda. Abba, would you please change my heart? Keep, uh, help me to love people around me like Jesus loves them. Great, thanks.